This is Barbie Jo, and you are listening to Don't Get Lost in the Laundry. This is a show for busy moms and families where we talk about household order and function. We'll discuss tricks of the trade and systems to improve family life and managing a household. Hello, everyone. Barbie Jo here, and welcome to another episode of Don't Get Lost in the Laundry. Today, we have a special guest, Debbie. Debbie has helped parents around the world for 30 years. She helps parents go from despair to hope with practical, hands-on ideas. Parents that take Debbie's workshops leave ready to try new ideas with their children. So today we're going to talk about positive parenting, which I think is super important, especially in today's world. So welcome to the show, Debbie. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I started 30 years ago. My kids are in their 30s now. So they were six, two, and one. And I was going out of my mind, (laughs) um, yelling at them all the time and just not having a good time at all. And I happened to take a parenting class and it literally changed my life. I went from yelling at my kids and being miserable 90% of the time to actually having fun and enjoying them 90% of the time. And after about a year or so of practicing the things that I learned, I thought, I'd like to teach this. And so I got trained and I set up my business, Positive Parenting, in July of 1994. And so that's a long time ago. (laughs) Set up my website, positiveparenting.com in 1995. And that's what I've been doing ever since. I teach parenting classes and workshops Uh, both locally wherever I'm living and around the world. That's amazing. Well, we're so excited to have you with us today to talk to us because all of us out in the audience are parents and we do have children. So why is positive parenting so important? To me, it's so important because most of us want to raise our kids well like to be proper citizens or do what they're supposed to do and be functional adults. And most of us don't know exactly how to do that, but we do know whatever we grew up with. (laughs) And often that was either not good or not great. Um, There's very few people that I think were raised with parenting. They would go, yes, that's what I want to do a hundred percent. Right. So, yes. So I think the only way to get extra input is to is to feed ourselves with new information or education in order to cast a wider net than what we may have grown up with, if it, especially if it wasn't functional, if it was not great. And with positive parenting, I like to think of it as a way to correct our children's misbehavior, like discipline them, give them proper guidance without breaking their spirit. So it's a way to discipline effectively in terms of getting the behavior we want, but it also keeps their self-esteem intact. And in fact, the discipline itself, when it's done well with positive parenting, the discipline itself will build your child's self-esteem. And children who have higher self-esteem, they do better. When they feel better, they do better. And so we know from research, especially many of the old forms of discipline, especially the very punitive, coercive types of discipline that is associated with negative outcomes, long range for children. And so even though 
yelling and grounding and spanking and all of those things are things that most of our parents did and our grandparents did. They really don't point to the best way to raise a child in this world. So so this is a way to actually do that. And the unfortunate thing is that the word positive parenting often gets a bad rap because people think it means you don't do anything. Well, that's not the case. Positive parenting, if you're done, doing it well, actually takes way more work than yelling or spanking or grounding or any of those things. Oh, totally. It's so much easier just to punish the child or, you know, send them out of the room or yell and scream at them. That's the natural instinct, I think. So it takes a lot of self-control to step back and say, okay, we're, we're discussing the action, not the person. You're not a bad person, but your action was not acceptable, you know? So that does take a lot of practice. Um, so what is a parent's biggest challenge, would you say, as a professional? I think most parents, the challenge is just exactly what you were just speaking to. It's like stopping and thinking to actually take this to the level of observation rather than reaction. So I call it being responsive rather than reactive to situations. So when your child misbehaves, basically you have got a couple of choices. You can just react, knee jerk react. You're going to yell at them or walk away or, you know, do, you know, you're going to do whatever you decide to do as a reaction to their behavior. Whereas you, if you get enough understanding about how kids work, which is a lot of what I teach, like how, why do they do what they do? I mean, you think if you yell at a kid enough, they would stop doing something and they don't. (laughs) No, no, they don't. (laughs) And so when you start understanding the, the different things that motivate their behavior, you can get really good at it being a better observer in the moment. So when a child does something like says, no, I'm not going to do that. You can stop and take a moment and go, wow, isn't that interesting in your own mind? Rather than having this, you know, immediate reaction, like don't ever talk to me like that, or, you know, whatever the the knee jerk punishment is going to be. And just go, how interesting that this child is so discouraged right now. They must not be getting their needs met or they wouldn't be doing this hugely inappropriate behavior. So what can I do to help this child do a better behavior right now in response to what I'm asking them to do. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I was just on a Zoom call and we were doing a live recording actually for her audience. And her son walks in the room and, you know, she addressed her son and said, I I can help you in a few minutes. Mommy's busy. Give me a few minutes. And he started to throw a fit. So she said, hold on a second. You know, we were live. And she turns to her son and says, what's the problem? And he says, you know, something about the TV not working properly or something or whatever. And she says, oh, that's frustrating, isn't it? I'll help you in just a second when I finished with this. And he stopped. He stopped. So she validated what he was feeling and then said, you know what? I'd be happy to help you in a few minutes. So I just have to finish this first. And he was fine. And he got up and he walked out of the room and he was totally fine. And I thought, oh my gosh, that was such a good lesson for me because the first reaction would be like, shh, get out of here, be quiet, go, we're live, you know? But she addressed it and she did it in a way that didn't cause more disruption. It solved the problem really quickly. So anyway, I just thought that was really amazing to watch. That's such a good role model for parents too. I think that was one of the main things that I think I got from this pandemic happening. I was, I went from 
teaching all out and, you know, I would travel and I would go teach in schools and different places. And all of a sudden now we're home. And I, and I was at the time got quarantined with my daughter and grandson. So I had grandkids in the house, which turned out to be this huge blessing because otherwise Um, I would have been alone. Right. So at least I had a family to be quarantined with. And so I started teaching Zoom calls every day. So my, my best friend said, you've got to do something to help these parents out there. And I'm like, okay, what are we going to do? So we taught free Zoom classes every single day for about nine months. We did that. But when I started, my grandkids were there, right? And and before that, I would set it up. I'd have my daughter make sure that, you know, they're gone or somewhere else. Or, you know, I would be very careful to not interfere kids with my recordings. And, you know, anything like coaching or anything I was doing over the phone or over the computer. And all of a sudden we're all here and it's like, there's no filtering this. Like, this is just going to happen in the background yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, it was a beautiful release for me to like, oh, I can just, exactly what you're saying. I can actually practice what I'm supposed to be doing like this. This is even better. You know, I don't have to hide this. This is real life, right? <laughs> yeah, it was super fun. It was, it was great. Oh, I love that. And what a fun time for your grandchildren too. I'm sure they'll never forget this time in life. No, it was, like I said, it was a huge blessing. And I think we fared much better through the pandemic for having, you know, our little community together. <laughs> to yeah. not, not all be alone, you know. Oh, I'm sure. So yeah, I'm sure. Okay. So I want to know, what is the single most useful tip that you give young parents? I think there's an idea called a genuine encounter moment. And this is an idea where you get on a child's level and see the world 100% through their eyes. So just like what you were talking about a moment ago with that mom, you know, our tendency is to say, just a minute, just a minute, just a minute. And our children are left feeling like I'm not important or what I have to say isn't important. It lowers their self-esteem. It makes them feel bad about themselves. And then other kids will just bluster their way through that and demand our attention anyway, at which point we're like, you know, ah, stop, stop, stop. And they don't stop. And so in, if we can do a genuine encounter with our child, just once a day, once a day per child, we can alleviate so much. Like I would guess that mom that you were interviewing probably did do this with her child, like had special connection maybe before the the call. Maybe even the child would know after the call so that that child knew he didn't have to fight for her attention. Like if she said, I'm going to give it to you, he could believe her. And so this this idea of taking a moment and just seeing the world 100% through your child's eyes, and it's especially impactful if you do it when you're busy doing something else. Maybe not an interview like this, but maybe, maybe if you're washing dishes or, you know, scrolling on your phone, or if it's something that you can leave, and your child comes up and says, hey, mom, and just stop what you're doing and turn and look at them and go, yeah, what, what do you have to say? What do you have to show me? I want to hear. Yeah. And most of them are just shocked. They're like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> like they didn't expect. They usually have to fight for us, right? They have to fight to get our moment. And instead, if you just give it to them ahead of time and you just do this once a day m- minimum, you can build such a better relationship with your children. So that's my my biggest tip for parents is to make sure you're making that super intentional one-on-one connection at least once a day. And most of us do this unconsciously, right? We do it we do it without thinking, like there's moments, but but 
our, sometimes our kids have to work for it. And so to remember, like, no, I'm choosing to stop what I'm doing and see the world through my child's eyes for the purpose of creating a better connection with my child. Okay, so what are the top three biggest mistakes that you see made over and over again? Oh, gosh. Well, obviously, the opposite of this, which is not listening to your child. <laughs> and it's it's super fun. I love watching like out at a restaurant or something, which I don't do very often now, but to watch a, a small child in a high chair or at, at a booster seat or something, and the parents there talking and yakking, and you can see that child trying to get the t- parents' attention, and they'll do little things first, right? They'll they'll tap on their mom's arm. They might grab something, and the mom kind of unconsciously just handles things, but doesn't stop and actually look at the child. And you'll see them escalate and trying to get the mom's attention until she finally does. And so I think really being tuned into your children, and this is related to attachment style or attachment-based parenting. There's a story about uh, moms in some South African tribe. And like when the babies are born, they hold them on their hips and they're just, their baby like lives on their side. Like they're holding their baby all the time. When the baby um, needs to go to the bathroom, the mom just leans the child away from her body and the kid goes like this is so, so within a week, if the, if the baby pees on the mom, she's branded a bad mother because it means she's not in touch with her child enough to lean the child out when it's going to pee. And so this is kind of the, the basis for this connection and attachment that happens. And we've lost track of that, I think, so much with our own children, the way we've got our busy lives and all of our gadgets and our this and our that, and that we've, we've lost that personal, really super deep connection with our kids. And so I think that's the biggest mistake is to, is to not spend enough time cultivating our just our snuggle connection relationship with our children. Another mistake I think we make is that we feel like we have to bully our way into getting our children's behavior. <laughs> like we have to yell at them or punish them or boss them around. And, um, and it's not real. Like the children really do want to please us. They want to make us happy. They want to um, want us to be proud of them from a very young age. They want to be helpful. And we discourage all of those attempts that they make to do that or we don't acknowledge when they do. And so to really nurture and honor and and hold so special a child's deep desire to make us proud or to or to do things that we approve of. And we don't want them doing stuff for our approval, that's a whole nother topic. But just to to really believe in and know your child really does want to do the right thing and if they're not there's a reason for it. They're either discouraged or they don't feel that they can be capable. Often we don't set our kids up to be successful. You know, go clean the bathroom means one thing to me and a completely different thing to my child. (laughs) And so if they go in there and they do it, they think they've done a great job. And I go, like, you didn't do that, right? And start yelling at them. And it's like, they're truly heartbroken because they really thought the way that they did it was right. And so to be willing to take time to train them and to help them understand what it is we expect and be super, super specific. I think that's, that's another, these are kind of long, I guess. <laughs> no, so good. So good. Yeah. And I think the final mistake is, is waiting too long. Most parents just get frustrated and angry and they wait too long to get help. Even if it just means calling one of your best friends. So often we think we're supposed to know how to do this 
we're supposed to like have all the answers and that there's something wrong with us if we don't. And the exact opposite is true. Like we can only learn new things and we can only do better and be better with education and community. And so it's not weak. It's actually strong to reach out and say, I don't know what to do. You know, my kids doing this stuff. And so often it's not even anything super technical. The parent is doing wrong. It's, there's like something going on. And so, you know, you need to get another set of eyes and ears on it to get good information. And so I think not isolating, being willing to to parent in community is so, so important these days. That is such a good tip because I mean, I think about all the training my daughter just went through to get her job at Chick-fil-A. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, here I am, a mom, I have five children and never went through an ounce of training to do the most important job of your life, right? We just kind of jump into it blindly thinking, oh, your instincts will kick in and you'll know what to do. But oftentimes we really don't. Well, and you're you're correct. Your instincts are going to kick in, but your instincts are based on what you saw and learned growing up. I mean, there's not a whole else lot there. And especially when you're under stress, you're going to go right back to usually their old, not great habits. Most of the knee-jerk reactions or what you're calling instincts that we have are based on our own childhood. And so it's a lot of things that push our own buttons, which are experiences that we had when we were children, that now our children are doing something similar and it's pushing our button because maybe we got punished for that when we were a kid. And so we feel this edge of, oh, we got to do something, you know, and it's completely unconscious totally unconscious parenting. And it's it's not always pretty. It's not always the best thing for our children. And it's the the beauty of bringing this conscious is is the beauty of our relationships because our own children are here to help us heal those old things and to learn from them. And when we can allow our children to be our teacher, our healer, our learner, they get so much esteem from that. They get so much joy and pleasure. Not not in a I'm your therapist way, <laughs> but in a way, like, like I matter, like I'm good for my mom. I like, I do good things and, and mom is a better person because of me. Like, like what kind of amazingness would that feel like to, to, to me if I had known, like my mom saw me as somebody who was really a good person and doing good things in the world. Like, like that's who I am, but I didn't feel like that growing up. Like, you know, I just, my essence is just like, I want to help people and make people feel better. And I didn't feel like my mom thought that, (laughs) you know, so I had to undo a lot of stuff to get to my essential nature, which is just to, to make, you know, to help people. That is fascinating because I struggled with a relationship with one of my siblings growing up. And now I realize I have a child that is a lot like that sibling. Interesting. And so I'm getting like this fresh start and a new perspective on handling a similar personality or similar situation. Wow. And what a gift. That just shed a lot of light on that. Yeah. What a gift. I mean, to see your child and go, wow, this is helping me so much. Like I had so many struggles with my sister or whatever it was. And you know, I mean, that just that acknowledgement is beautiful. It's a beautiful connection between the two of you. All of our children come here to, to learn something from us and to teach us something. You know, like I really feel this super deep, like they chose us and I chose them on this way deep level. And, and, and just knowing that, especially, especially the parents who come to me with these kids, like, I can't believe this is my kid. And I'm like, oh, it's no accident. <laughs> no, not at all. No. <laughs> 
That's so great. I love that. And I couldn't agree more. (laughs) What are some ideas for a parent to do with a defiant child? Well, that's, I mean, I think that goes to back to the power struggles, right? No, I won't. And you can't make me. And, you know, the, the first thing is to understand that this child inside is feeling powerless. Like we always forget Even that. Even a teenager. Right. I mean, we, okay. think, we think when they're doing that, that they're all, and some of them are arrogant or have too much. No, it's not self-esteem. It's really a f- false sense of self-esteem. And, and so we, we don't always look to that deeper level of seeing the child who's being defiant as really feeling inside powerless. Like this child doesn't know how to feel powerful in an appropriate way by making a contribution, by doing things that are helpful. This child has only learned that I only feel powerful if I defy you, if I don't do what you say. And so I'm just going to keep fighting with you. So that, I mean, that's the insight into it. And then the, the next stages are to understand how to deal with power struggles effectively, which I don't know if we have time to do that in this. <laughs> you know, I have we'll worked have you back that. on. It's <laughs> <laughs> a whole two-hour class we could do on this thing. Wow. <laughs> you know, but there's a lot of ideas, you know, giving them more power, help, giving them choices, giving them useful ways to feel powerful. So you ask yourself the question, how can I give this child more power right now, appropriate power? instead of the inappropriate thing that they're being powerful over. And, and remembering to be kind and firm as you're navigating the power struggles, because it's, if you continue to take the my way or the highway, you're just going to keep butting heads. And their defiance is going to keep serving their mistaken belief that they're powerless inside, because we're going to keep stripping their power away more. In fact, when we strip the power away from this child further... They feel even more powerless inside. They dig their heels in even further. So it just perpetuates the mistaken belief that they're not powerful. And so we want to give them ways to be powerful in that moment where it feels least like we want to. You know, a child's being defiant. The last thing that's going to come in my mind is, oh, how can I give this child more power right now? Like, no, (laughs) I always have the parents in my classes, like, write the question down. How can I give my child more power right now? Put it in your kitchen drawer. The next time your child's being defiant, you're going to go, what's that stupid question she said to ask? <laughs> you're not going to remember it, but you're going to remember you stuck it in the drawer and you go get it and like, okay, this is what it is. And you do it and wait until you see how much better your child does as a result of giving them a, a useful way to be powerful rather than an unuseful way to be powerful. So what? Give us an example of a useful way to be powerful. Well, like for example... I mean, anything, what are some things you power struggle over with your kids? Um, say sharing. Okay. So if they're like not sharing over something, like how can you give the child more power in this moment? Like, how about if you get to be in charge of these toys and you get to be in charge of these toys? How about if you each, you know, and that one, it might be a little more appropriate to offer choices. Like, do you want to each spend three minutes with each toy or five minutes with each toy? Because now we're talking about a sibling rivalry and fighting issue, <laughs> which is right, a, little, right. a little different than, than power struggles. So like, maybe we have a three-year-old who's getting into all of my kitchen drawers and drooling on them and getting everything out and breaking it and stuff. And I'm getting in power struggles all the time. This is an actual example a mom, a mom gave us. And so she asked herself one day, how can I give him more power right now? So what do you think she did in her kitchen? Gave him his own drawer. Yes. 
gave him his own drawer, <laughs> put his little name on it. Then they piled oh. stuff that he could play with. And so the little guy, he's three, the little guy would stay in his own drawer and play with all of his stuff. No more power struggles over that. So appropriate power, my own drawer, putting him in charge of something and making them the leader of something. Teachers are notorious for doing this in classrooms with a child who's dominating. They know to put that child in charge of cleaning the erasers, taking notes to the principal, like you yeah. give that, that child something to do that's appropriate instead of whatever they're doing that's inappropriate. Right. Okay. I love that. You know, <laughs> I had something similar because we do chores every Saturday. I assigned my five kids chores and it was always a power struggle until we came to a place where we created the list of chores together. And then we let everybody choose two things off the list. And it made it so much easier to get through that list. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, power, choices, that's all children need. They just want some say-so. And so do I. I want say-so in my life, right? Right. I don't want somebody telling me what to do all the time. I mean, I can take myself back to that feeling of being a teenager and having no power in a, in a heartbeat when I'm dealing with my own children. It gives me a huge amount of compassion and patience when I'm dealing with my kids. Oh, 100%. Oh, that's so good. Okay. <laughs> okay. What can a parent do when a child whines or says, I can't? Uh, <laughs> isn't that annoying? <laughs> that is. That is. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I mean, one of the things is just one of the kids whining is, is you can say something like, use your negotiating voice. And usually the whiners are usually four. Okay. Four years old is where the whining super starts. Like, oh my gosh, they're going to drive me crazy. Right. And so you say to this little four-year-old, use your negotiating voice. And they're like, what? <laughs> like they have no idea. But it's so cute because I learned this when my kids were little. And I, and I would say this to my son and I would say, use your negotiating voice, use your negotiating voice. And even though they may not understand the definition, the tone of your voice is so different when you say, use your negotiating voice versus stop whining. Like stop whining comes with this complaint and this distress and this, you know, there's this whole energy behind us telling them to quit whining that is not present. When we say, use your negotiating voice, it's a much more powerful stance. And so I would say this to him repeatedly and he got to um, preschool and I picked him up one day and the preschool teacher said, it was so interesting. Today, the kids were fighting and Michael said something and I couldn't understand what he was saying. And she, she kind of was repeating what he was saying. I said, oh, he was telling them to use their negotiation voice. <laughs> it was so cute. So he had actually picked up the word and carried it into his little friendships. And um, so they can learn this stuff that the intention, they, like we don't give them enough credit for how much they know. Maybe they don't know the specifics, but they know so much when they're little. And so that's one, that's just one thing. I have a lot of other things that we could do. Um, again, I, you know, I teach classes on this, so there's, there's a lot more. This is just little nuggets. <laughs> and these are great nuggets too. I'm sure everyone is writing furiously. Okay. <laughs> well, tell us more about your classes. How can we find you and, and sign up for these classes? Yeah. So I'm at positiveparenting.com. Really easy to find. I have a self-directed class. So if you go there and go to the positive parenting classes and you'll see positive parenting self-directed class. So it's Actually, the one that's the video now is the one that I did last year when I was we were doing the Zoom calls every day. So I did a Zoom video class and the curriculum is 15 hours. So it was half an hour a day. So there's like 30 lessons. 
and you can just watch them at your own time. There's also on um, audio. So if you want to just download audio, you can do that as well. And you take that in a self-directed manner. I, on a regular basis, offer Q&A classes, like group Q&A classes to do. So every once in a while, everybody's ready for a review or to take the class again. I'm saying, okay, every Friday or every Monday, we'll do a Q&A call. So listen to your lessons and then we'll, we'll get together and do a call. So that happens you know, every, usually like every quarter. Um, and then I do master classes. So coming up is the sibling rivalry and sibling fighting one. <laughs> oh, that's a good <laughs> that's one. Topic. Yeah. And that's just a two hour master class on some topic that usually somebody suggests and the, the sibling one got suggested to me this month. So that'll be um, on two dates in September. I think it's September 21st and 22nd. I usually do them at a couple different times for people to be on live. And we just do a deep dive into whatever the topic is. And then I record that so that anybody who doesn't show up can um, get the recording. But then I turn off the recording and answer questions. And I think that's one of the most beneficial things is to do the kind of coach group coaching, but not on the recording. And so that happens during the master classes. and they're just $10. So it's a good way to get to know me and come and see the class and do it in a, you know, a low cost manner. I love that. Well, thank you so much for sharing this with us today and for giving us so many golden nuggets. <laughs> I appreciate you being here. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Don't Get Lost in the Laundry. Don't forget to check out my website at barbiejoe.com. And if you liked this episode, you've got to subscribe. I'd love to have you join me. Bye for now. Bye.